Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, January 21st, the year of our Lord, 2020. Excellent execution from Director Colin, which I will detail momentarily. We are jam-packed tonight. As you would imagine, we would be. Hey, it's been a terrible week for Tennessee, but just in the last few hours, as I look at the imaginary watch, Tennessee has given us reason to actually change the thumbnail for the show tonight. It did say Vols in trouble. Now it said Vols big day without the possessive apostrophe oversight there. So uh, we're going to talk about that uh, from a lot of different angles. It's still been a bad week for Tennessee, don't get me wrong. But could um, could the glass be just a, a tinge more full than maybe we think it is? Larry Scott is going to be out very, very soon in the Pac-12. And that's important not just for our Pac-12 viewers, but for the entire nation. I'll detail a couple of different reasons why I think that, and why I also think maybe a very radical proposal could be on the table and could be maybe even a prerequisite for the person they hire to accept. I'm thinking conference expansion along those lines. Also, we are, again, dusting off the mood tracker. We continue to weave our way through different programs. And I, I called for you guys to give me a little call to action the other night on which programs you want covered. Because I think, uh, Colin, I can't even remember who we've already done. We've only done a few of them. But the other night we did a couple. I think it was Georgia and one other program, Ohio State. That's who it was. And so, man, we got inundated. So I've got a whole bunch of programs to do. We're not going to get them all tonight, but we're going to do a couple tonight. Oklahoma, we're going to hit. We're going to hit Texas A&M. Feeling good about Texas A&M. For the record, feeling good about Oklahoma, too. And feeling good about the show tonight. We're jam-packed. If you haven't already, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. I want to quickly tell you it's going to be a busy couple of weeks around here. Yeah, we do Late Kick Live multiple times per week. But uh, this coming Wednesday, so a week from yesterday, we have got the final five-star reveal show that we will be doing right here. We'll also be doing it on several different 24-7 Sports Facebook pages. And then a week from that, so two weeks from yesterday, we will be having a three-hour wall-to-wall Steve Wolfong and I in studio and a cast of thousands all over the country National Signing Day show. And that is February 3rd. So the 27th and the 3rd, bookmark those dates. It will be live from this here studio. So let's dive in and let's talk about it tonight. we got a lot to get to. Tennessee's had a rough week so far, and it's Thursday. So, hey, you were thinking it snowballs down the hill, and it's only going to build speed, and it's only going to grow bigger, and this is all terrible. And then you get the big news today. Danny White, former now athletic director at Central Florida, has been hired. And let me not cut any corners here in telling you this is a monumentally big move for Tennessee. So there's there's industry-wide applause today. Everyone approves of this move. Like Everyone loves this, and everyone's kind of surprised by it. I can tell you there was not much Danny White traction, even within the last 24, 48 hours. It really started to pick up speed this morning, um, which is the hallmark of a very well-conducted athletic director search, by the way. Hopefully the coaching search goes accordingly. So this is widely regarded as a home run. Let me. I was looking over at Vols 24-7 a little bit beforehand. 
And Patrick Brown over there put out this little tidbit of information. You want to know how to get yourself a big-time athletic director job? It used to be that you need to be a former coach. It used to be that you needed to be a former player. This is the kind of resume builder that you need to be able to flaunt in a job interview setting. UCF, this is from Patrick Brown over on Vols 24-7. UCF raised $35.5 million in donations last fiscal year. That is four times what they raised just four years ago in the fiscal year, or the physical year, as I like to call it. Make the athletic department a lot of money. Be a good fundraiser. That is how you become a major athletic director these days. You can hire all these lieutenants in the world to run various branches of the operation. You don't have to know the intricacies of women's volleyball. You don't have to know how to put together a very, very impressive route tree in in lieu of hiring a wide receivers coach. You need to be able to run an athletic department. And then you get folks who know how to make football hires. And if you're not comfortable with it, hire a search firm and then just tell them what you need and they'll go get it for you. Be able to run an athletic department. So that's what Tennessee did today. That's one giant box checked. Now we know that there's this other box. We're just kind of looking at it over here in the corner. And it says, head coach. And it's wide open. There's no name. There is no check mark in that box. Where are we going? Initially, as I told you on the show, and as I've said many times, I got the sense, as did many of you, that when Kevin Steele was brought in, and then subsequently as, as Fulmer is, uh, excuse me, let me, let me rephrase, as Philip Fulmer retires, even though the language in his contract, if he were to be fired, is exactly what's happening in terms of compensation right now. But, but make no mistake, it's a retirement. As Philip Fulmer retires and rides off into the sunset and Jeremy Pruitt is unceremoniously dumped on the street, I think there's a little bit of a to-be-continued theme with that too. But as that happens, Kevin Steele's in there, been there about two weeks. We just assume, well, that's going to be your interim head coach for a while. And that is the role that he's holding now, acting head coach, interim head coach. That's what he is right now. Now, here is the million-dollar question or maybe even a multi-million-dollar question in Knoxville, Tennessee. Is that going to be sustained? Is he going to be there for an extended period of time? Because I can tell you, I woke up this morning, and that was my thought. If I had to bet money this morning at 8 a.m., I would say, yeah, Kevin Steele is going to be the head coach there through spring football and maybe even beyond. Not long term, but maybe the 2021 season. Well, then Danny White gets hired today. And among his first quotes that come out today, he is talking about prioritizing a head coaching search. Now, I can't guarantee that means they're going to get a guy. I mean, it's one thing to prioritize something, and it's one thing to allocate the proper funds for it. It's another thing to get someone to agree to your job. The value of the job, the profile of the job I'm about to talk about, but here is one glimmer of hope. We did the podcast this morning, and one of our listeners asked, can you give me a reason to believe? Good Rod Stewart song. Can you give me a reason for hope here? Well, this may be one. You you hit a Grand Slam athletic director, and the first thing that Grand Slam hire is saying is, we're about to go do the same thing with head coach. So we'll see. The old dot, 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 we'll see. But it's a 1,000% good day for Tennessee. It's just sandwiched in between a whole lot of bad days. What are they selling? So this is the profile of the job. This is kind of the next step in what we're talking about. You can believe in your program. You can believe it's an elite job. And I've told you my thoughts on the Tennessee job. I think much more highly of the job than apparently a majority of people do. But right now, listen, there's a cloud over that program. Make no mistake about it. It makes it a much tougher sell. Again, make no mistake about that. But the perception versus the reality is really the fascinating crux of this whole thing to me. Here's what the perception is. The perception is, all right, Pruitt just got fired. There's been a bunch of rumors about what was going on there. Uh, I am, you know, listen, personally, I know what's gained national traction this week. 
I've heard a lot about Tennessee. I've not heard, you know, the old McDonald's angle. I hadn't heard that personally. I cannot vouch for that. Uh, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world, but I can't tell you that happened. What I can tell you is perception is there was a lot of dirty stuff going on there. You don't have to believe the rumors because Don Plowman, uh, the chancellor there and the president and Philip Fulmer, they sat there at a desk and they told you multiple level one violations. We have reason to believe that's coming. Multiple level two violations. We've been investigating ourselves in conjunction with the NCAA, kind of sitting off to the side and watching us. And, you know, you're led to believe, and anybody with common sense would be led to believe, ooh, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better around here. Well, that is one train of thought. And you may be right in thinking that. I could offer you up another train of thought. I could, again, offer you maybe a little more of a ray of hope that things may not be quite as bleak as they appear. So we'll get to that in just a second. But as it relates to this coaching search, There's going to be truth dealt in this coaching search. Everything is going to be put on the table. If Tennessee's interviewing me, and for the record, they haven't yet, but if they're interviewing me for the head coaching search, and you're trying to draw me away from Pate State, and you're trying to get me to come to Tennessee, I got to get all the information from you. And you better believe I'm going to have language worked into my contract where if things end up not being as you made them appear, I'm going to get out of here, and you're going to pay me a big buyout and severance and whatnot. So everything's going to be on the table. When you pitch me your job and you come to me, what if this is what you tell me? What if you tell me, listen, there was a lot of legal posturing going on and we had to get out of this deal with Pruitt. We had to do it by any means necessary. Now that doesn't mean that we went below board on it, but we may have used some very strong language in the reasons why. And we may have gone and found our out, and then we may have thrown level one, level two, and we may have thrown it out there. And all the while, what if we told you, future potential head coach, that we've kind of gotten guidance back from the NCAA that if we handle this properly, uh, maybe that'll maybe that'll serve as a justified response. And we may not be expecting anything further from Indianapolis. If that's the case, your job just became a whole lot more attractive to me. That's what's happening. Now, I can't tell you that is happening. What I'm saying is that's the what if. That's the big what if game that they're playing right now. Wednesday was brutal. I mean, yesterday, make no mistake, it was brutal. They lost, I could argue they lost their best defensive player, their best offensive player, another starting linebacker, another starting offensive tackle. I don't think people are finished going into the transfer portal. It would surprise me very much if we didn't end up seeing more headlines. I mean, as we've been on air, for all I know, there have been one or two players but the hope here, again, I think if you're a Tennessee fan right now, you, you, again, you got a good hired athletic director. I think the overwhelming hope now has to be maybe a lot of what we've been led to believe is coming down the pike. You know, maybe there is a light at that end of that tunnel, but maybe it's not a freight train. You know, maybe it's just a pickup truck. We get hit. You know, you've been hit already. There is no prayer. Tennessee's going to be anywhere remotely close to 85 scholarship players this fall. In fact, I'll tell you exactly what I'd do. If I were Tennessee... I just, I just put out a press release this Friday at 445 saying that we're self-imposing uh, 15 scholarship reductions. You're already going to anyway. You're, there's no prayer you're going to be anywhere near 85. Why don't you just go ahead and get the added perceptional credit for having slapped yourself on the wrist? I, I don't know that anyone would really care all that much five years from now. They wouldn't look back and play the semantics game with you. And that, that's kind of like, you know, if I'm a kid, if I'm 10 years old and I feel terrible, I got the flu. So I know I'm not going out to play anyway. And I also know I got a terrible report card that's about to come home next week. I go to my parents and I say, Mom, Dad, you know, I feel terrible. I've let you down in the classroom. I've let myself down in the classroom. I am going to self-impose a weekend's restriction on myself. I'm not going to go out and play. And you can take it to the bank that that shows you my contrition. I'm very serious about this. That's what I would do if I was Tennessee. 
I'm not going to have these players. Well, let's just go ahead and pretend it's a punishment we put on ourselves. So I think right now the ray of hope is Tennessee is not accepting defeat whatsoever. They sound very aggressive, which is a refreshing tone after what's happened over the last week or so up there. And so now the search is on for the new head coach at Tennessee. There are names being thrown around. Lane Kiffin's name's out there. I think Lance Leopold's name at Buffalo is kind of an off the radar, but it's tied to Danny White. That's out there. I think if this search is conducted properly, there are going to be names involved that you would have never thought about. And if the profile of this job ends up being that to which is above what perception is, there may be some big names that maybe you don't think you can get that the money sounds like it's going to be there for. And if, listen, if the cloud over this program doesn't end up being nearly as dark as it seems, then who knows what Tennessee could end up doing here. So all I'm telling you is for everyone who's already punted on the next five years of Tennessee football, maybe so, maybe so. Let's just wait and see. We got time. Let's wait and see. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, there are big goings on over on the other side of the country. So Tennessee's had a bad time of things. Well, the Pac-12's had a bad several years worth of things. Let me put the plural on there. Several years. And Larry Scott's been the commissioner out there. Well, no longer. Uh, As of this spring, a little bit later on in the spring, Larry Scott's going to be out. Why is it happening? Well, I think from a broad strokes point of view, you could just say they're not good enough. That's why it's happening. Well, that's true. But then you dive into the details where the devil always is and you find many, many reasons. Okay. So I thought I saw a bunch of good writing on this today. I thought uh, Stuart Mandel probably did about the best piece that I saw. It was over on The Athletic, which is behind a paywall. So I'm not going to read any of it to you, but I thought it really surmised and encapsulated the mess that has been the Larry Scott tenure in the Pac-12. And let me just tell you, you know, there are a million different reasons that you could point to. Here's what really struck me. It wasn't all that long ago that Larry Scott had some some really good rub with the college football public and the Pac-12 public. Uh, He had been right there in the midst of, it seemed like, being on the precipice of negotiating what was going to be called the Pac-16 which was going to include Texas, and it was going to include Oklahoma, and obviously that would have turned this entire thing upside down. He also negotiated on the front end of his tenure a pretty darn good media rights deal. I mean, at the time, it was big money, and it was looked at as one of the standard-bearing contracts in the industry. Here's the problem, and this he has never been able to detach himself from. This has been a 100-pound weight tied around his ankle as he is hurled into the Pacific Ocean. That's graphic, so figuratively, of course. Larry Scott, just I, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine you're running a really good bakery and you got the best muffins in town and everyone loves the pastries. I mean, even, even the guy who normally doesn't order Danishes, 
He's getting your danishes. You're going good. Business is good. And then all of a sudden you look around and you say, we got a good bakery here. Let's diversify. What you going to do? You going to open a steakhouse? Nope. Bar on the corner? Nope. I'm going to start myself an airline. But here's the problem. That's ambitious. You got the money. You got the capital up front. But here's the problem. You can't really form any relationships. You've never been in the airline business. And so you can't get any airports to sponsor you and get your terminal space. And you can't get the pilots union on board. And you can't get any plane manufacturers to cut your deals. And so you just decide, I'm going to start my own airline. I don't need any of you. Imagine how ill-fated that concept sounds. And then imagine that's exactly what the Pac-12 did. Only they didn't start an airline. They started their own TV network. They had no clue how to do it. A lot of great people have worked at the Pac-12 network. Um, It's going to be a wonderful documentary one day. But they had never taken a swimming lesson, and they dove into the deep end. They started their own TV network. you got to understand something. Like That doesn't sound ignorant on the surface to start your own conference TV network. Because you may look around and you may say, well, the ACC's got one. Well, the SEC's got one. The Big Ten's got one. Seems like everyone's got their own TV network. They sure do, friends. But when you look at those logos, you don't just see SEC and network. There's a third thing that you see on that logo, and it's the letters E-S-P-N. They have a massive media partnership. That's the foundation on which those network TV deals, all of which I just mentioned, have been built except for one. The Pac-12, they ventured out into the media rights wilderness without a media partner. And they were as blind and as hopeless as the baker who starts his own airline. And that really has been, among many other things, probably the biggest downfall for the Pac-12 under Larry Scott. So the reality now is they've been fading and they've been fading for a while. There's a massive revenue gap. You see the competitive gap But, I mean, it really all ties into the revenue gap. And the problem is it's not even frozen. It's growing wider and wider each year. Disastrous TV deals now. The network TV situation I just detailed. The Pac-12 presidents, um, they called them general managers in some cases out there. But the leadership and administration of the Pac-12, the one thing I'll say, if you want some, some optimism here, is it seems like there is a lot of synergy and a lot of continuity. I haven't really heard many tears shed for Larry Scott. And I've heard a lot of renewed excitement they haven't even hired anyone, but they seem like they're on the same page. And that's what the the sense of survival and kind of survival instinct will do for you. Everyone out there knows it's do or die time. Everyone out there knows a drastic measure needs to be taken. And everyone out there seems to know the next hire is obviously the most pivotal point in the history of this conference. And they're right. So what do they need to do? Well, they need to close revenue gaps, obviously. Now, that's easier said than done. And there's not just this great big one idea that's going to do that. In, in reality, it's going to be several ideas and everyone pulling in the same direction. I think, and this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, I think that they're going to have to, as part of that radical plan, explore some kind of conference realignment or probably a conference expansion model And I think if you were to partner with someone, it wouldn't be a TV network. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about partnering with the Big 12. What you wanted to get off the ground about a decade ago, a little less than a decade ago, and you couldn't, I think it has to happen this time around. Because listen, the Big 12, they're not exactly printing money either. They're in a little bit more stable position, but there is a gap between themselves and the big boys. I really think it could come down to, and this is not anything that's happening in the next year or 18 months, I really think the future probably holds some kind of realignment. I would be very surprised. It's uh, I have to look at my watch to know what year it is. So it's 2021 right now. I'd be very surprised if in 2028, let's give it seven years, I'd be very surprised 
if the Pac-12 was still the Pac-12 and consisted of the same 12 member institutions that it currently consists of. I'd be very surprised by that. They also just flat out need the football teams to do better. I mean, really, USC needs to be USC. Mario Cristobal and Oregon, like I think they're doing their part. They've been a very quality product. Uh, The University of Washington needs to step it up. The Arizona schools have to step it up. UCLA football has to step it up. Stanford has fallen off mightily. They got to have better football out there. You can only do so much fundraising and negotiating at the at the uh, TV network executives table. You got to have a product. Director Colin and I were talking about that earlier before we came on the air. You got to have a product. I mean, when we talk about the Pac-12 on Late Kick, we openly wonder when we go back and we look at the data and analytics and we look at concurrent viewership. Are, are we going to see a noticeable dip when we talked about the Pac-12, or is it going to maintain consistent concurrent viewership? Lately, it's been the former, not the latter. People tune out. There's just not enough passion there. You're not going to hire a a, a conference commissioner who comes and injects adrenaline into your fan bases. Only one thing can do that, and that is viable, consistently winning football product. That's what you have to have. So if you're out there and you're pulling for the Pac-12, you got an obvious rooting interest here. But let's say you live in Kentucky. I mean, you're a University of Kentucky fan, but really you're a college football fan and you're of the opinion that there's not enough parity in the sport right now. Well, this is where your rooting interest comes in. If you think the sports become too regionalized, if you think only a a few are benefiting at the expense of the very many, well, this is where the change could come, one of them. you got to have a competent and consistent product on the West Coast because right now, whether you like the perception or not, people look at Norman, Oklahoma. And outside of maybe one or two stops past Norman, Oklahoma, any given year, people think that the sport is irrelevant past that. And it shouldn't be that. Hasn't always been that. It shouldn't be that in the future. So I I view a lot of those programs out there not as extinct. I view them as dormant. Hopefully a kickstart is coming on multiple fronts for the Pac-12. Let's go mood tracker. One of, surprisingly, I don't know why I'm surprised, but this is an extremely popular segment that we do. All it is, is us taking a temperature. It's, it's open wide, lift your tongue. We don't do the digital thermometer. And we insert the thermometer, old school, right under the tongue. We're just taking the temperature of the fan bases. Oklahoma football mood tracker. Where are we at right now? Now, there was a lot of debate before the show about where we were going to go. And I told Director Colin, we're going to go with a broad term here. The current mood for Oklahoma football and the fan base there is that of being initiated. If you've ever been initiated into anything, a fraternity, a club, homeowners association, I don't know what in the world you do in your personal life, but if you've ever had to go through that process, it's tough. It can be arduous. It's rewarding on the other side. But I think Oklahoma football and a lot of the fan base there, they kind of feel like they've been initiated now. And they're at that table. Now, they haven't won the national championship under Lincoln Riley. Like They are not universally compared yet to the likes of Alabama annually. Clemson annually, uh, but they're right there. Like they're, they're at that next tier, at the very top of the next tier. You could argue they've already been at the bottom of tier one. They've got the offense, but they've always had the offense. They got the head coach, but they've always had the head coach. They've always been pretty premier or close to it any given year in those categories. Offense, never really been a problem for Oklahoma. Defensively, they've been a pretender. They've been a total paper tiger Everyone's known it. Deep down, their fan base has known it. And that has changed. And as that has changed, so too has the feeling about what Oklahoma football is capable of, not in just the regular season, but if they get into a playoff setting, 
You know, they're not going down 28 zip with no chance of retaliation. They're not having the walls painted with their blood like they did against LSU in 2019. You can play defense. And to be honest with you, if you can show the SEC a thing or two about playing defense like they were in the latter part of this year, well, then you're in that club. No one takes you for granted. No one looks at you as a little speed bump, a nice cute story, but ultimately a speed bump once you face them in the playoff. No one looks at you like that anymore. And I think that's how Oklahoma fans feel. And if the rest of the country doesn't, I think they may soon enough. So let me, let me give you two different takes here. Number one, there was a lot of talk about how they were the hottest team in the country at the end of this past season, how there were even some fringe arguments that they should be involved in the playoff discussion. I never bought into that. I talked about it on the show at the time. Like, I loved what they were doing at the end of the year, but losses matter. And you got two of them, Kansas State, Iowa State, like those matter. Uh, and I'm for the whole regular season mattering. I'm not for the early games being treated like preseason, and we value the latter season games more. No, you lose like that, and you got to pay the price. So Oklahoma didn't belong in the college football playoff this past year. Most people didn't believe they did. But just as I say that, I am totally buying them as being right there in that conversation this year. They Think about where this was. Think about the turn that's happened. They had lost to, like I said, Kansas State. They lost to Iowa State. And they were going into that Texas game. And there was there were a lot of folks just like gnashing their teeth over the, the idea that we're right on the precipice of having lost three straight games. Have we lost it? I mean, if we, if we lose this game to Texas, what are we saying about Lincoln Riley? Well, what you're saying is he's a great coach who just lost three games in a row. That was our answer on the show. Uh, that was taken, that was blown way out of proportion. But be that as it may, when Oklahoma finally decided it was time to press play on the 2020 season, I look at it as the day they beat Texas. They never lost again. So here's how I look at it, because we're talking 2021 now. Where, where is the mood right now? I view the 2021 Oklahoma football season as essentially having begun that day against Texas. Because there was obviously a different product on the field from that point moving forward than there was earlier in the year. And that's just a byproduct of how uneven 2020 was. You can talk about every team dealing with COVID all you want to. Some teams dealt with a whole lot more than other teams did. There was a lot of variance program to program. Oklahoma finally got their act together, and they were a really good team. You could argue maybe they were one of the four best teams in the country at the end of the year. You could argue that. But I will say this. We're looking forward. Forget about what happened. We're looking forward. You got Spencer Rattler coming back. I think a lot of people will talk about that as they should. Really good depth and talent at running back and wide receiver coming back. Everyone should be talking about that, and they should. But they've had those things before, like I was talking about. What has this added spark and what feels a lot more oven than microwave now, if you will, for the Oklahoma fan base is you know that you've got a championship caliber defense and it's not going anywhere. We did a segment um, about six months ago. It was before the season started. And I did a segment where I just flat out said, like, I feel like Lincoln Riley is going to win a national title at Oklahoma. It wasn't a prediction for a given year, but we had been getting a lot of feedback in our inbox from people who kept saying Oklahoma can never win a national title because Oklahoma can't play defense. And that wasn't true in my estimation. What was true is Oklahoma hasn't won a national title because Oklahoma hasn't been able to play situational opportunistic defense. They've just been run over. I mean, there's been no shot in some of these games they played against bigger competition. But just because it had been doesn't mean and never did mean it always was going to be. I mean, there's no motivation whatsoever for people to keep doing the same thing when they're getting terrible results. And so you're slowly but surely now seeing the whole Alex Grinch effect take root. It wasn't going to happen overnight. We talked about that in that segment. What's going to happen overnight? 
So Grinch came in. They still kind of underperformed, but you know everyone wanted to you know beat them with pillows still and say, <laughs> you got the same hire or new hire, but same results. Well, that wasn't the case. Now you're starting to see it. So now, like Oklahoma fans already feel it. They already feel like everything they saw to end this last year is validation as to what they expect to be this year. I think that there is a lot of this same energy around Oklahoma as the kind of energy that exists nationally around Texas A&M. A lot of people have to see it to believe it. I'm about to talk about this in a second with A&M. A lot of people have to see it to believe it. So I think as the perception internally in the fan base is already there, they feel like they're there. Now we just got to go validate it and prove it on the field. I think a lot of folks will never believe that Oklahoma is there until they prove it on the field. But here's the good news. They play these seasons and they do one of them every single year. 2021, I think is going to be Lincoln Riley's best team top to bottom. It's going to be right in line with being in the most advantageous position quarterback in America next year. Outside of Norman, Oklahoma, it's kind of a crapshoot. You know, for that matter, those of you who want all the parody in college football, college football could be wide open in 2021. It could very well be Oklahoma's year. It could be that a first-year starter at uh, Clemson or Alabama ends up shining and the same old, same old prevail. Could be, but I'm just telling you, there's a lot of reason for optimism around Oklahoma, and there's a lot of reason for those folks to feel very good about where that program is now and moving forward. How about the Texas A&M Mood Tracker? This one's going to be fun. This one we got asked for the most, I think, out of any program so far. Texas A&M and the Mood Tracker there right now. What is the temperature of the fan base? This is one that I wanted to say for Texas A&M. The lying in the weeds. It's a very popular metaphor. But I don't think there's any program out there, pound for pound, that this metaphor describes more than Texas A&M football. Lying in the weeds. I want you to think about your perception of this program. If you're an Aggie fan versus if you're just an outsider. This is a full like National Geographic special right now. If you've ever seen it, I mean, the imagery is there. The tiger, you know, creeping up on the whole herd of gazelle. Gazelles? Gazelle? I don't know. A bunch of them. A bunch of gazelles. There's the plural. And you've seen it a million times before. It's that thing that... It's, it's that animal, that predator that's, that's able to arrive before you even knew it was there. That's the best I could come up with, I guess, the tiger. But, I mean, it could be any of a number of predators out in the wild. That's kind of how Texas A&M fans feel. Like, that's where they feel like their program is right now. I wholeheartedly agree with them. I, I'd buy a ton of stock in Texas A&M right now. I feel the same way about them as I do about Oklahoma. It's a very cheery into the show tonight uh, as a result. But the question, again, I was talking about the podcast we recorded this morning. I got a question on the podcast, and uh, this question was about Texas A&M. Uh, it's kind of prophetic because the, the listener didn't know we were talking about him tonight. But he asked, how come people are so hesitant to buy into Texas A&M? And this is an Aggie fan, and he said, hey, man, I, like, I think we got everything. I think we're ready to compete now. I think the future is looking incredibly bright, as Connor just said in the live chat there. You think I don't read the live chat, but I do. Well, my answer to that was, again, the reason they're not going to buy into you is because your last national championship, I mean, coincided with like Sherman's march through the South, and so it's been a long time. People really need to see it before they'll buy in. That's the first answer, and that's very simple. Here's the second answer, Alabama. That's the answer. The University of Alabama. Because here's the fact of the matter, and I think most of us know this to be true. If I didn't change a thing about Texas A&M, but all I did was I gave them Notre Dame's schedule from this past year, or Clemson's schedule, or Ohio State's schedule, they're probably in the playoff. Playing any of those schedules, they're probably in the playoff. Or if not, they are a strong contender for being in the playoff. What stood between them and the playoff this year was Alabama 
and the beating that Alabama put on them, which was the exact equal score, by the way, as Alabama put on Ohio State in the national championship game. And number two, you know they got to play that team every year. So you just assume they're not going to get over Alabama. They're not going to beat them. And if they're not going to beat them, by and large, you believe they're not going to make the playoff. And that's it. It's not really about the quality of team. It's just that you know who they got to play every year. I think that's in the back of a lot of people's minds. I don't think you're wrong, but I just think it's Jimbo knew what he was getting when he signed up for this. It's not like Alabama's a recent addition to the SEC West. Like this is this is why it is big boy football in the SEC West. You got to play them every year. But Jimbo Fisher, I think, is much closer to the promised land than Kevin Sumlin ever had Texas A&M. The College Football Daily with Trey Scott, Trey Stanley Scott, was um, they were this morning talking about Texas A&M with Brian Peroni from Gig 24-7, and they were talking about the Sumlin years. I thought it was kind of fascinating because I think they're, they're much closer right now than they were back then. But see, I don't think that right now A&M football has as much sizzle to it as they did in their peak in the early years of Kevin Sumlin because you had Johnny Menzel out there. You had the answer at quarterback. Now, here's the irony. I think Fisher's got every other part, every other appendage of the football program. I think he's got it built to a level that surpasses what Sumlin ever had, even during his best years there. The one place he hasn't had it is quarterback. The only place that Sumlin had it better at any point in his tenure than Fisher has it now was quarterback. As a result, I think that's why A&M is kind of in the weeds over here. I don't think the general college football fan has the slightest clue how set up, how built for long-term success Texas A&M is right now. It's only going to take a quarterback. They're not going to have to build around the quarterback. It's already built. Everything's already there. They've, they've built internally. They've really got good, quality, elite SEC caliber depth along both lines of scrimmage. They've built depth along both lines of scrimmage. They are very physical. Running back, they have a wide variety of talent, both size and speed in any given year. They've also got it, and I think they are improving rapidly at the perimeter on the skill positions offensively. Defensively, they have kind of taken the same trajectory climb as Oklahoma and Alex Grinch has. So their quality there, uh, recruiting, they're recruiting better than they ever have. Right now, they are in the process of recruiting at the highest level that you've seen that program recruit at. The organizational structure right now is night and day better than at any point during Kevin Sumlin's tenure. The culture, I think, is night and day better than at any point during Kevin Sumlin's tenure. They don't have a star quarterback. God bless Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond was not a guy that was going to compete with the best in the country. When they get it, maybe they got him on campus. Maybe they go transfer portal. Maybe it's a home run they end up hitting in recruiting. When they get that box checked, Kevin Sumlin is going to be a distant memory, if he isn't already, at A&M. Jimbo Fisher's there. They are there. They're right there. They are knocking on the door of Tier 1 right now, and you don't realize it because you view them as inferior because they keep getting run by Alabama. The reason they're getting run by Alabama isn't because they have an inferior roster. It's because they have been inferior at quarterback. If I just change that. Sounds simple. It's a lot harder than that. I'll grant you that. But the roster's not going anywhere. The organizational structure, the culture, it's not going anywhere. They're in the right place already. Right place, right time. People talk about it all the time. They're in the right place right now. The rest of the program's there. It's built. It's ready to go. It is a high-performance sports car. I just need someone to drive it. I just need the quarterback. If they get it, here they come. That's Texas A&M's mood right now. Uh, that's the last piece of paper I have, so apparently the show's done. Listen, I really appreciate a lot of you guys. You've given us really good numbers over the last couple of weeks, and I told you when we started to wrap up the season, we went into national championship week, 
and I was in the, I was in the grips of COVID-19, and so you couldn't see my face, I told you, don't tune out just because the season ends on the field. This is a year unlike any other. And we kind of had some guidance behind the scenes, but I think it was pretty easy to see. It's not going to slow down just because the national championship game's over. Coaching search is going to extend well into January. We've got recruiting. We've got a five-star show coming up next week. We've got National Signing Day the week after that. And probably the most important new feature in this sport, the transfer portal is going to end up being a bigger deal after the new year than National Signing Day is. This is a big talking point here, and this is a big talking point in the coaching industry right now. The transfer portal is quickly becoming this monster that you have to build new positions inside your college football uh, organization to really properly handle and harness. We're talking about adding positions in the media world to properly handle and harness it. So it's just, if you if you get tired of having dead periods in college football figuratively, I don't think you have to worry about that right now. And so, like you guys have been tuned in. I mean, we, we certainly haven't been hurting for numbers around here. But if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. As I said, we've got a lot coming up. Also, follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Got, I think, three sessions open for the Zoom consultations. Had a lot of them this week. I uh, really enjoyed talking to a lot of you guys. If you're interested in sports media at all, starting a YouTube channel, starting a podcast, whatever you want to do. doesn't even have to be sports media necessarily and you're interested in kind of a one-on-one uh, consultation along those lines, hit me up, joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter at LateKickJosh. We are done for the evening. We'll be back here Sunday night. I think we're going to can Sunday night show, which means pre-record because we got conference championship games in the NFL uh, Sunday night. we got Super Bowl in two weeks. So we'll still have shows. Uh, they just may look a little bit different, but don't worry. We are not going to uh, change our schedule just because of the NFL. So for Director Colin, for Producer Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves demons and now what a baby antichrist <laughs> prepare yourself you will not beat us for the end visions of hell make it stop make it shut up you're not gonna survive this evil the final season streaming may 23rd only on paramount plus